to What You're Wearing. And in this episode, we're going to talk about is everyone in Europe, except for us, the fall and it's hot and we are not there. Boo. Then we're going to also learn all about what pet lom is. And then we're going to also talk about the amazing costumes of Elvis. And we are so sorry to report that Izzy Miyake has passed away, but we're going to tell you all about this Japanese genius on this episode of What You Wearing. William! Uh, Mark Allen. Okay, so you were just talking to me about how seven is your lucky number. It is. Yeah, but this is 17, so this is not your lucky number. Well, no, if seven is involved in it, that like if I'm in if I'm at the gym and there's a locker that's 17, I go there. If it's 27, I go there. If it's uh, seven, I go there. Anything seven. seven. Yeah. But like what about 43 that adds up to seven? Well, that's math. I just want the seven. <laughs> I just want seven. You're like, I don't do math. I do sevens. Thank you very much. Okay, good. No, well, well, actually, uh, I do tens, but oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay, that's another subject. Okay, so first of all, it's so good to see you. It's I know. It's been a day and a half. I think I kind of forgot what you look like. We look amazing, don't we? Oh, uh, Not aging at Oh. Hello, moisturizer. Hello, moisturizer. Le mer. You know, last year for Christmas, one of my clients, Heather Thomas, thank you, girl, gave me this big box of Sicily products. Okay. And I was like, oh, love. And there's like all this anti-age cream and all that. And yeah. then I, at first I was like, oh, thanks for the face cream. But yeah. But then I started using it. Yeah. It's super nice. Super expensive. And I'm like, wow, this it stuff's works. amazing. It works. So, not like that's a plug for Sisley, because they're not plugging us. However, mm, it's... Not yet. Good, not yet. It is some good business. There I'll we go. You. So, uh, one of the things I was thinking about today, I was in the row. Oh, I, I haven't been over, over there in a minute. Right? Over on Melrose Place. Yeah. And I was shopping, had clients in town, and fall is in the air. Yeah. Right? Now... Fall is not in the weather. Like right no, now, it is hot it's in LA. Sweltering. It's sweltering. Sweltering, and it's like ninety-five, and it's just hot, and it's muggier Sticky. this year than normal. And I just, I think it's a funny time to be selling cashmere. Yeah, and that's that's what everyone's getting, and that's what everyone's pushing. So it's hard to. It's hard to get people to buy something that's hot when it is actually hot, unless they're like constantly traveling and they're get, preparing themselves to go somewhere. But other than that, it's hard to convince someone. And, and it's it's frustrating because right now, when nobody really wants it, is when you really should buy it. Because right. by the time we get to October, when, when you, you really it, want it, it's gone. It's all gone. Mm-hmm. So like the good pieces, and it's it's such an, a crazy um, thing to me to have it be so. Freaking hot. I have to be buying all those hot clothes. However, yeah. I had some clients on Tuesday and I mm-hmm. took them to South Coast Plaza. Oh, okay. And South Coast Plaza, they had that place set up like for a penguin display. I don't know what they With were bringing. Fake in. snow and stuff? No, it oh. was freezing. It was so cold. My client well, kept saying, I'm so cold. I'm like, honey, it's not your, that cold. But to your point, was it actually cold? Her like, air nose was like freezing. I could feel her nose. Her, she was. But what was cold. the air like? It was cold. It was because I'm air. finding a lot of places are keeping the stores freezing, like to the point that people are like, 
oh my God, it's cold in here. I was in the store the other day and the lady was so cold that she asked, could she put on one of the cardigans in the store? Right. Well, so I think it's a psychological yeah, thing. Like, isn't it freezing? Don't you want this $7,000 cashmere <laughs> coat? But I also feel like, I mean, there's a level of being comfortable too. I mean, people are going to buy what they're going to buy, but I mean, it was the reason people there. have numbers to meet they just and we got to like out. one store and the heater was the air conditioner wasn't working Ooh. and they were like oh my god this store's amazing i'm like ugh, this store the air's not moving anyway <laughs> it was there like there were no, no nits so that day and i guess you could think the same it's not as miserable but like in february when you're in new york and it's like six degrees outside yeah. and everything's iced over yeah. is when all the white linen pants are in yes. and all the spring is there. Yes. So it's, it, you know, you got to be ahead of the game and to. ready to just buy when it's right. Or you miss out. Right. Because I've been that person that has forgotten something and in New York for Fashion Week in February and I'm like, I need gloves. They're like, there's a couple on the sale table and that's it. <laughs> right. We hope you like pink. <laughs> in fact, I do. <laughs> Um, and there has been a super duper heat up in Europe. I've had clients that were there like melting. It was like a hundred degrees. Wow. It's been so crazy in Europe. But I will say, I feel like everyone was in Europe this summer. I, I'm everyone. kind of jealous because my niece for her graduation, she just graduated, my Chloe. Uh -huh. She just graduated from high school. She's going to Howard University. Okay. And my mom and sister took her to Italy for 10 days. The what countryside. You get, what did you get when you? I got a handshake, uh, a tape player, <laughs> a, uh, a card, and maybe some cash in there. And wow. congratulations, maybe some friends over to sit in the backyard. Wow. But my niece got to go to the south of France. She went to Venice. She went to the Colosseum. She did pasta making, wine tasting. She did all that in 10 days? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were, they killed it on that trip. Did yeah. she love it? She loved it. Now, was it her first time over there? She'd been over there before. She's been to Europe a bunch of times, but first time in Italy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I think I'm going there next summer, next fall, with my taking my parents. It's amazing. Well, you got to... This year, I believe, is the first year you're able to go underneath, uh, do uh, tours of the Colosseum below. Oh, because I know they were doing that big renovation there. So, so they did that. There. So now you can see, like, kind of where the animals came up from out of the floor. And you can see, like, the inner workings. You know, that was... Look, I know people think that society is a bunch of devils right now and that life is rough and all mm -hmm. that. I mean, that was another... That was otherworldly. Oh, yeah. Like, you look... Could you imagine driving through West Hollywood and be like, ooh, that guy looks strong. Come on. Come with me. We're going to throw you in a coliseum, and if you can survive this tiger attacking you, we're going to give you a golden throw. Right. That you have for one week, because next week we're going to try and kill you again with a rhinoceros. Right. <laughs> and I believe you didn't know what animal you were going to deal with until you were out on the floor. Right. Yeah, this is true. And it makes me really wonder, like, all those gladiator guys, they wore, like, little gold Speedos and short shorts and those little tassel things. That's hot. I mean, <laughs> who made that choice? It was well, the it queen. Was... She was like, I think we should do that, honey. But let's put these muscly men in some short shorts, some gold lame Speedos. And leather and make skirts. Leather skirts. Uh -huh, leather skirts uh -huh, all around. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Everyone's like, Jean-Paul Gaultier, look, he put a man in a skirt. Yeah, so the gladiators, okay? Right, right, right. Ugh. <laughs> I want like some full coverage. I want like a cast iron speedo. I'd want something that's going to cover the front, the back. I protect myself from being bitten. Nope. Oh well. Right? Well, you don't know you're about to get bitten until you're. It's too late. 
That's a bad scene. That oh, would not well. be my thing. Say la vie. Say la vie for them. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I, I feel like you've got some really valuable information for me. I do. And I would like to know all about... The peplum. The peplum. Yes. That's P-E-P-L-U-M. Uh, it originates in, from the Greek word for tunics called peplos, which was an ancient Greek tunic that basically was uh, a draping from the, the, I would say, the waist to the, I guess, the hip. And okay. it first was, believe it or not... Now, for those of you that have a standard American body, you think your waist and your hips are the same thing. But what should actually be happening is your waist is small and then it curves out over your hips. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was inspired um, through the popularity... Through history, from the 19th century overskirts to the mid-century new look. The new look was made famous by Christian Dior. Mm. So basically, it was kind of man- to manipulate uh, the waist and the hip, and kind of to hide the hips. Because basically, what it is is, imagine, I guess, the bodice fitted, fitted, fitted to so the. So the bodice. So bodice. When you say bodice, you mean like a corset, right? Uh, well, the bo- the, the bodice I, is the shape. So the bodice. Is well, like when the, I say the bodice. It's the basically waist. the area of a, the torso of a woman. Okay. So, like, let's say uh, collarbone to the smallest part of her hip is super, super cinched and tight, right. tight, tight, tight. Okay. Then from the smallest part of the waist, it would kind of bell out, uh, almost like a flounce, almost like a bell uh, to like the, the Jetsons, hip. Like the Jetsons, like Judy Jetson. Yeah, to the hip. All right. So then from the hip to the knee would basically be a super, super... Uh, straight skirt. That's basically what they did in the 50s with Dior with the new look and kind of what they did with the power suit in uh, the 80s. Um, Back in the day, the peplos, which is what the original name was, it consisted of a folded sheet wrapped around the body and cinched at the midwaist for shape, typically with extra fabric. This created a bunching effect at the waist, causing the fabric to bloom out at the hips. Now, was this more to have someone's hips look bigger so that they looked wealthier? Because back in the day, right, if you had curves, you had more money and all that. And if you had a small weight, like, because what, what time period are we talking here? Are we talking the 1950s or the 1800s? The 50s. The 50s. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was the 50s. And I think um, it was basically to accentuate how skinny your, how little your waist was. Because usually if you had full hips, you went really tiny in the waist. And then for the 80s, they went with the shoulders. Do you know how hard it is for me to sell peplum to the girls that really would look great in it? Because the girls that have a small enough waist don't want that extra fabric on their hips. But if, if you get them in it, and then they see what the silhouette looks like. I do. No. I really? do. All, I just have a heart. Like, all that Dior. All those Dior jackets. They're these gorgeous jackets. Uh-huh. They're fit into the waist, and then things flare out. They're like, I have been going to the gym to make my butt look smaller, and this peplum just gives me this big old booty. But I, but I think, I don't know if that's an American thing. Women, American women think that coverage equals not being sexy. 
Do you know what well, I mean? Well, there's coverage, but then there's shaping. Like when you when you think about the shapes of things, it's like how do you? I I, I think it's an interesting thing that it took off the way it does. Mm -hmm. And even if you look at all the new Dior stores are opening, I don't know what they're. I don't know where, what's. Going I didn't on realize Dior. that they were doing that well, ready to wear wise. Right. Well, all the, the handbags and accessories. Yeah. All of the signage outside is just muslin cutouts of all of these bodices of Dior, and they're almost mm -hmm. all peplum. Like at South Coast Plaza, have been a huge new store. They're taking over the old Hermes, oh. and so as you look at it, it's just like beige, like it's like muslin. Peplum, yeah, yeah. The, I'm sorry, muslin, yeah. And they're all these peplum. I mean, it's so much peplum at Dior, which speaks to the '50s new look, right? But I just keep trying. I have such a hard time with like those women that are going to get that look and then, you know, have that big. I'm, you know, I, I'm just telling you from my experience. Do you, do you, I have a are you hard able time to at least? I, I know, like talking about it. Are you at least get? Are you able to get them in it? So they see I can get them in it. I mean my girls have no choice. If I say put it on, they have to put it on. We don't really But talk. there's not a aha uh -huh, like They're oh. like they're like, Oh my god, look how fat I look the through the booty. And it's true. It's just, I always talk about it, it's like a study in shape. It's not. Yeah. It, it get it does give you a small waist. Oh yeah, especially it, if you work the shoulder situation. Right, but it does not give you a small booty. Dude, that's true. Yeah. So it's just no. I th but I think. I mean, of course, I'm not wearing a lot of women's clothes. I like that I said a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm not wearing. I'm not wearing. I'm not wearing a lot of women's clothes. Who you calling, sir? Who you calling, sir? <laughs> um, that's funny. I don't remember that's from. That I, I know that. Um, and I, I just, I find it to be really interesting that the women are just there. They see the construction of it and they right. want it because it's the other thing about the peplum that I notice is there's such construction in those garments. Oh yeah, but they just don't want the butt situation. Yeah, and even like going back to the look of uh, Dior in the fifties, they even did. Um, uh, the trick they do now is they use like shoulder pads, but a lot of times in the suiting to make the peplum even stronger, they would pad the inside of the peplum. Yeah, but can we so also talk about out even more. who has that kind of room in their closet to have some jacket that's going to take up four jacket spaces? Well, I mean... No, don't well, I mean... I mean... Closetry. Closetry. Oh. The closetry of it all. The art like the closet. way I did that. That trying to sweet talk me when I'm guard me. All right, but well. yeah, so I mean, Peplum. I, well, I personally got obsessed with Peplum's, like I said, in the '90s. Terry Mugler and Claude Montana. We'll teach you who Claude Montana the is. The '90s. Oh gosh, I wish I was alive then. But it was there, an amazing time uh, you were there, <laughs> <laughs> sitting right next to me. But yeah, Claude Montana. We just so you're clear. Whenever we're at a show, I'm always three rows behind you. I never <laughs> just you're like sitting right next to you. That is some BS right there. I'm never sitting right next to you. I'm always like two rows behind. <laughs> Hi, William. Maria. He no. He wouldn't even acknowledge me until the show's That's over. That's not true. And the show's over. He goes, "Oh hey, toodles." And no, I say, "Let's talk backstage." Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> About people. But anyway, yes, Queen. All right, Peplum. I yes. love it. Yeah, I love it. And I have to say, I've even seen, you know, I love that young girls are into it now. Like, my niece, you know, she's 17. She's wearing little peplum tops with jeans. I'm seeing a lot of young girls doing peplums with denim shorts. I'm seeing a lot of young girls wearing leggings and rubber sandals. Absolutely not. To Trader Joe's. Absolutely It's not. killing me. Absolutely I'm not. done with all of them. All right! <laughs> it's time for a hot, hot looks. All right. 
right, so listen, I, you tell know, me. normally I'm like red carpeting out and I've got some amazing thing I'm gonna tell you. And I, I went and saw this movie that I was so blown away by. Uh, away. Oh, okay. I was blown away by. <laughs> it was done by an Australian. He so did show in Hawaii a lot. <laughs> I was really blown away and it was Elvis. Blue so, Boz Lerman did that. If you have not seen it, you must, please. Don't wait for it to come to your streaming service and see it at home. Go see it in the theater because it's you big, must. it's beautiful, the sound is amazing. Now, I will tell you, there was a gentleman sitting behind me in the theater, and four minutes in, he started snoring. Uh, and he snored off and on throughout the whole thing. And his friends got mad, they were punching him, and then they moved people around. He, do you like, not know you're sleepy like, when you're about to go into a long movie? Just don't go though. leave the theater. If you're that tired, go home. It's $17. Okay, you've lost $17. All right, bye. I, it yeah. was so rude. I wanted to turn around and say something, but I didn't because I am a nice person. Anyway. Oh, you're very so sweet. My, I been so nice. My hot look yes. is the basically the three main looks that Catherine Martin did for that movie. Now, Catherine Martin I can't wait to hear is the her. costume designer, okay? She's brilliant. For, for this movie. Now, Catherine Martin blew my mind because yeah. she's Boz Lerman's wife. Boss Lerman's not gay? Are uh, you kidding me? Okay, I'm gonna he, tell you something. He, uh, uh, don't you, uh, no, I'm no, gonna tell you something. It, no, I'm gonna tell you I something. Have, no. It is, unless you're about to tell me you have laid with him personally, I'm not, I can't I've been it. out with him, because yeah. I met him through Suzanne Barsh, and in fact, he threw a big party at Art Basel a couple years ago, so mm -hmm. I hung out with him. Huh? She's a beard. Now, listen, we are now gossiping, but. No, I'm just telling you what I, what I witnessed. Well, maybe he was just auditioning people for parts. Uh, oh, sure. He was definitely trying out some parts. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, what? I can't believe he's not gay. But what she said about dressing, what's that cute guy's name that was Elvis? Uh, Butler. Uh, uh, Andrea Butler, or whatever his name is. Lloyd Butler. Austin Butler. Austin Butler. Yes. Austin Butler. Yes. Um, what she said is that the way that he captured who Elvis was... She really had to manipulate the costumes uh -huh. to be Austin's own version of who Elvis was and not dress them just in Elvis. Got you. So that it looked like a costume. Got you. And she said that when she came around, when she left the project and she thought about Elvis, she said, what I came away with was how unbounded by convention Elvis was. So yeah. he was his own stylist. Ooh. There was no one dressing him. He made all of his own choices, and shut he had up. A you shut I didn't, up! I didn't you know. shut up! Don't tell me I, I didn't shut know up! The that. podcast was supposed to talk about. So he did his own, that. and so he had a um, a tailor mm -hmm. starting in 1968 named Cyril Romano. Okay, and he did all the tailoring, and this tailor brought in this guy named Jean Doucette, and Jean Doucette is Elvis's embroiderer. And the embroidery okay. was intense. Okay, that's all hunky-dory. But let me just tell you a little about this Jean Doucette guy, because I Googled him a little bit. Uh -huh. uh, okay, a couple more things about it. So there were 100 costume changes in this movie. 100 Incredible. Elvis costumes. Um, and when I think about that he was his own stylist, I wonder what it would be like if a big megastar artist was allowed mm -hmm. by the record companies and producers and agents and managers to mm -hmm. do their own styling now. I, like, I wonder how it would start to create this such an authentic expression of who those people are. It was very interesting. I think you're seeing artists kind of no, I think it's go all off produced. the... 
Oh, you do? I oh, do. you don't think it's... Uh, authentic, Billie right? Eilish is not wearing oversized Gucci everywhere. That's style. No, but I feel like there's some authenticity with um, Harry Styles, don't you think? No, I think it's all styled. Well, I know it's styled, he, but boy, I think he's That boy opened... got famous from, you know, Britain's Got Talent. I know, but I, mean, I feel like, like there was bro- a change once he kind of went on his own and... Yeah, I feel once like he his... went on his own and got a record deal and a stylist and they created all these looks. But I don't think it's his... Harry. I think... You're like... optimistic about that, but I don't think so. I I'm think it's okay. all produced. Really? Uh-huh. And I think at that price point, at the money that they're looking to generate for the record company and for all the... Really? I think, there's, I think it's all... Produ- and I think he might have some great personal style and have... But, like, but he him... seems very comfortable in yeah, like... Yeah, that's good. That means sequin... he's got a good relationship with the stylists. But I don't think it means that it's really like. But he's... I think he has a really great relationship with um, Gucci for sure. Alessandro, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I, it, so yeah. that okay. part of that was super interesting, and that the main looks were in the fifties. It was black and pink mm-hmm. because Elvis was it again. Was his, it was his rebellious face again. That was. The black fact that he was attracted to pink. Now, black and pink, and he wore a ton of lace, black and white shoes. He wore, in the 60s, he was um, a rock and roll movie star. So he was in leather a lot mm-hmm. and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then the 70s, he was everyone's superhero in a white jumpsuit with embroidery, right? And when you look through those elements that they are in there uh-huh. and how that all evolved, it makes you understand that he was just picking stuff that he loved for him. I just thought it was super interesting. So anyway, okay. I was just, just obsessed with all the collars. So, okay, so Gene Doucette, this okay, embroiderer. tell me. You go, if you Google this guy, you go on, you find his website. So he has a website under B&K Enterprises, which is the costume house who made the things for Elvis, right? right. So originally. Right, yeah. but they weren't designing it. Like, Elvis was collaborating with his tailor, making stuff, and then it was all done under the umbrella of B&K Enterprises. Oh. Well, Gene... Uh-huh. Okay, Gene. Gene's okay. like 74 now. Gene uh-huh. is still doing embroidery. He works at this company. And on his website, there's all the stuff about booking him. So you can have him come to wherever you are. And he does interviews. He does TV. Okay. He helps um, create museum expression. He does all this stuff. Okay. And then all of his fee structure is like, and you have to pay for all my travel, all my prep. And I'm just like, this man... From embroidering Elvis's stuff. Well, I mean, just is the fact that his he's, best life. The, just the fact that he's connected to Elvis, I'm sure he makes a pretty penny. I mean, yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I just thought was, I just thought the whole thing was quite, quite interesting. And if you haven't seen that movie, I really would say there are 100 hot looks in Elvis. There are just so many. It, which, it, do you have a particular one? Um, I'm gonna tell you which one I. No, was. I mean I just I thought like it was towards the end we started getting really chunky and fitted in those jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. And I started getting sad, and he does that really sad song at the end. I'm like, oh Elvis, and then I'm like, no wonder people want to say Elvis lived. They want to pretend that he lost all that weight and he's in Barbados, like Aww. looking good. Oh, sad story. What was your favorite one of his? Yeah, there was a. Uh, I think they were filming something, and there was a red and black vertically striped. Satin blouse. Of course you. And then there was First kind of, all, of a, anytime William can like say, "Oh, it's a blouse." But it, and it did. It had kind of the Renaissance sleeves, and then there was a a, a gold and black, almost like gladiator uh, belt that it went went over some like bell bottoms. And I was like, "Wow!" Like, wow. I feel like we're gonna see a lot of Elvis this Halloween. Uh, yeah. Well, this. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I, I think just, it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a little extra. 
I just hope it's good. It won't be good. Because if you don't... <laughs> I'm just going to cheat. You're like, you're adorable. It, it, it won't, won't be, be good. good. It won't be good. Because <laughs> to do it right is not cheap. Yeah, and scene. Okay, that's and my hot looks. What's your hot look? I actually have um, two hot looks um, from the late, great Master Miyaki. Um, is that funny? Like, what? not funny, but it's interesting that when someone dies, all of their best work and their best moments become part of the news cycle again. Right. Yeah. But these are looks that I've actually been obsessed with. Um, I guess which the I guess the first one 19 uh, since it's Thursday, throwback Thursday. 1990 and I'm sorry, 1983, he dressed Grace Jones as he did on many many occasions and he dressed her in a What I do like uh, what uh, Miyaki did was he would always reference ancient uh, work, handwork. So what he did was, you know, it was part of the Japanese culture where they will weave, basket weave bamboo. Mm. So what he did was he took tubes of acrylic plastic and did a woven, uh, how do I describe this? I guess visually, just so the listeners can hear it, the hat did resemble somewhat of a lampshade, but it was all... <laughs> But, but it was a very was chic lampshade. Very chic, lacquered plastic. Maybe we can talk Eric into actually posting a picture of it. Oh, no, definitely Eric's doing We have to see. Sure, I mean, we sure. have to see. You know, Eric's moody these days. Yeah, and busy. Very busy. busy. He's so busy and moody. We have to see what Eric does. But then the same uh, basket weave work that's in the hat was a, 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 basically a cage uh, corset, top, and then his famous pleated skirt. That's one look. And then... He perfected, because he did a lot of things with the environment. And let's th the, remember, this is the 80s. So in the 80s, what he did was he would take how they would mold, let's say, sculptures from the Roman times. Mm -hmm. But he'd do it with acrylic plastic. So he did metallic plastic uh, breastplates for women for the 1995... I'm sorry, again, 1985. And, <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. 1985 and 1986 collection where he did uh, reinforced plastic, molded fiber in pinks, reds, wow. blues. But he did a famous one for Grace's performance in red. And ironically, the bottom of it, we'll get a picture up on our site, um, was a peplum. So you saw the woman's breast. Oh, uh, you, you the, and your callbacks there. And then you saw the indention of the belly button, but then there was a, a peplum. And I oh. actually thought uh, Terry Mugler did I the breastplate first. No. I did the research and Miyaki did it first. Yeah, Terry Mugler was just a big copycat. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. He definitely did. I'm just kidding. He definitely did. We've got all, we've got, no, no, no. Not my friend Thierry. No, yeah. But he definitely made his own, and like, as far as, I mean, as soon as uh, about four years ago, uh, Tom Ford did it. Well, Tom Ford is, is ridiculous. Um, I, you know, the wrong people die. Isn't that what we always hear? And, I, a, hush, <laughs> and a hush falls over the crowd. <laughs> That's Just what we call it shade. That is throwing some shade. <laughs> anyway, awesome. Thank you so much for that hood look. Absolutely. And, my look. and now it's time for our power player. All right, so, you know, sometimes 
you and I spend a little more time trying to figure out who our power player is going to mm-hmm. be. Or, and this one was super easy. Yeah. So on August 5th of yeah. 2022, Izzy died of liver cancer. Somebody just cut to the end. That's how it ended. Oh, wow. Anyway, so thank you. That's it for power player. No, just that's just the beginning. And it... It was, you know, I want to first of all start by apologizing. Now, I don't apologize. I apologize once a year. So this is the one for this year. <laughs> it's an annual It's thing. an annual thing. Right. And um, Eric's over on the couch, like, literally shaking his head. I so We let him in the studio today while we're recording, <laughs> and I'm not quite sure where we did that. <laughs> and I have always thought that Miyake's background was in architecture, and it was not. It was mm-hmm. in graphic design. Yeah. So mm-hmm. somewhere I got that it was architecture and it was not, it was in graphic design. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But some of the facts I thought were very interesting. So he was born in Hiroshima yeah. in 1938. Yeah. Then the Americans, thank you, America, dropped an atomic bomb mm-hmm. in Hiroshima mm-hmm. that gave Izumiyaki a limp. That he had his entire life. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, believe, I believe when his and parents... Died in that. I didn't um, get into I, that I, I part, but that. like he I lived his that. whole life with a limp, and it wasn't until 2009 uh-huh. when President Obama was working on a um, releasing, like getting rid of nuclear weapons and having all those big meetings in the world. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until that moment that he actually spoke up and said, "That's where his limp came from." Seven-year-old oh. boy surviving that, and that's where. Um, he wow. came and he just, um, wow. Yeah. It was, and he saw the destruction of his whole city, which yeah. I thought was a, just, yeah. it's a lot to think about. Yeah. And then some interesting facts about him. And I'm, I'm kind of all over the place on this. So it's not necessarily as beautifully in order as I like to do, but this is lots of information I want to give you. Give it to me. So he was an apprentice under Jeffrey Bean. I just found that out too. That's amazing. Hubert de Givenchy. Oh yeah. Givenchy. Hubert de Givenchy. And if you're learning with those two. And then he founded Izemiyaki, his company in 1970. Mm-hmm. So he founded this company in 1973. He did his first show in Paris. Mm-hmm. And he showed with Kenzo mm-hmm. and Ray Kawakubo mm-hmm. of Comme des Garçons mm-hmm. and Yonji Amamoto. Yes. Right? So it was like this whole Japanese, and it gave a new life to Paris Fashion Week. Yeah. Um, he was a major explorer of shape. Mm-hmm. And Which makes sense why you would think he was from architecture. Because his shapes were so architectural. And he became fast friends with Steve Jobs. So Steve, I didn't know that. So this, you're gonna die. That's a random. You're gonna die, die, die. When I tell you this, so that's Steve a Jobs, friendship. They were bestie friends. Like they were amazing friends. So Steve Jobs oh, wow. went to Japan to inter- to walk through the Sony factory. So this is probably when he was looking at iPhones and creating what he was going to create. So he goes to the Sony factory, and at Sony, all of the workers in the entire place were wearing uniforms. Now the reason that Sony had these uniforms was that everyone was poor and had nothing to wear. Like, they uh, literally started doing the uniforms in the 60s and 70s because they didn't have anything to wear, and uh, they just kept it. And Mr. Miyake designed those work uniforms. Wow. And they were coats that you could take the shoulders, the arms off and become vests. Oh. Like, there was, there was this uniform. Which was super innovative at that point. Right. So, he... Um, <laughs> it was nylon, the jacket, by the way. So, anyway, he does this whole thing, so... Steve Jobs like, that's a great idea. I want that for Apple. 
So he goes and works with Izumiyaki, calls up Izumiyaki, says, who did your uniforms? Calls up Izumiyaki, and they collaborate, and they create this uniform for all the Apple employees. How so, did I not know that? Because you're just not me. And so he wow. goes through all this stuff to get these Apple... <laughs> oh, my God. As I was reading this, by the way, William, I was like, are you kidding me? So as he was going through all this, he puts together a whole uniform. They go to the Apple. You know how he did Apple? He has his headset. Uh-huh. Like, he's out there voguing. Uh-huh. He's on the stage, uh-huh. right? And then he... So he pitches this idea to the entire country. He's literally booed off the stage. We are not wearing uniforms to work. No, this is like Californians. You're not going to tell that. They don't want to put pants on in California. (laughs) Are you and I wearing a uniform to work? No. No. I'm I'm not even going to work. I don't know what that's about. So they said no, so he was totally bummed. But he then said, this is the quote from Steve Jobs, I asked Izzy to make me some of his turtlenecks that I liked, and he made me a hundred of them. And it was enough to last Wait. the rest of his life. Hold on. Wait. So every Steve Jobs turtleneck that he wore was Izzy Miyake. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm devastated right now. Wow. That's yeah. major. Every black, like his trademark was those black turtlenecks. Every one of those was Izzy Miyake. So Izzy made him 100. And when he made that 100, it was enough to last the rest of Steve Jobs' life. Now, s- several things came up for me. What? Really? How boring was your closet? That you only have a hundred. I mean, okay, great. It's charming in a way, but like, but I, I feel like that was Steve Jobs. That was the kind of his his branded uniform look thing. I'm sure that's not all his wardrobe consisted of. Do you? Uh, it's all he ever really was photographed in. That's true. I mean, I never saw him anything else photographed. Um, as a child, he wanted to become a dancer. His uh, interest in fashion started by studying his sister's fashion magazines. There's no story on his background, like, did he end up married, have a family? I don't think he had a family. I don't think so. So I don't know if he's a homosexuala or what happened there, but he was, um, that was, I think his private life was very private. Yeah, as Um, it should be. Well, yeah, okay. He studied graphic (laughs) design, we ain't got time for all that conversation. (laughs) He studied graphic design at the Tama Art University in Tokyo. Then... He um, applied um, and he, for this competition at the Bunka Fashion College in Tokyo, and he did not get any um, winning because he couldn't make patterns and couldn't sew them. So oh, after man. he graduated, as you do, he went to the Chambre Syndicale de la Couture Parisienne. Yeah. Uh, which is the a school in Paris. Yeah. Um, and then from there, that says Chambre Syndicale de la Couture. Haute Couture. No, no, no. Parisienne. So okay. it's really the house of Paris Couture, whatever. Okay. Um, and that's where he got, um, he was apprenticed to Guy Laroche. Which is huge. Guy Laroche as well, by the way. Then he worked with Hubert de Vinci, and he drew 50 to 100 sketches daily. Just drawing, drawing, drawing. Then 1969, he moved to New York, and he met Christo and Robert Rauschenberg, which are, you know, very important artists in New York at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was enrolled in English classes at Columbia University. Oh, wow. And he worked on 7th Avenue for designer Jeffrey Bean. That's huge. And then he returned to Tokyo in 1970, and he founded his company. Now, one of the things that was really important about what he founded was that he owns the manufacturing. So when he died, he was worth $80 million, and that's because he owned the manufacturing. 
Wow. So when you own the manufacturer, you have a you know double triple markup. And there's not a lot. There's not a lot of designers of that era that was smart enough to do that. Now George Armani owns his manufacturing. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. And I St. John used to own all their manufacturing. Okay. I don't know if they own all that anymore. Okay. Um, and then he uh, uh, was inspired by Madeleine Vionnet. Yeah. Um, that explains the for feeding. her geometric calculations and a single piece of beautiful cloth. Yeah. So she did this whole thing, and so there is a brand that Miyake ha Miyake had called APOC. Mm. Have you heard of this? And APOC stands oh. for a pretty, a piece of cloth is what it stands uh, for. And he was knitting up these pieces of fabric in a tube, selling them to people. And you cut your own holes in it for your arms and your legs to limit waste. Ah, uh, wow. Wow. I was like, you could do that with just a garment. They're like, here, do it yourself. Here, but there is yourself. a charge. That would be $2,000. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, then he started doing uh, costumes. Now, I forwarded a video to Eric, who is our, you know, supposed to be our Instagram genius. We have to see whatever happens with that. But <laughs> he is going to post a fabulous video that I found online oh, wow. from 1990-something. 2000 something. Uh -huh. Oh, well, from before. And it has, I'm going to get to that here in a second, but he did the costumes for Ballet Frankfurt. Yeah. And when he did that, he began to realize wow, dancers are the people that can show my product. Right. They're the ones that move and show how the product works. And he wanted to dance as well. Yep. So, so after yeah. saying how dancers move, he sent 200 to 300 garments for dancers to wear a different one in each performance of The Last Detail, which is some show I'm not sure about. Mm -hmm. This led to the development of the Pleats Please range and inspired him to use dancers to display his work. So that's where he got really connected to dance and how all that works. Yeah. Um, and... This is great. One of the quotes he did was, um, design is not for philosophy. It's for life. Oh, wow. And the other thing he said, which was really great, he said, Miyake stated that his intention was not to answer the question, is fashion art? But instead, to create an interactive relationship between the art and the people who admire it. Wow. By wearing the artworks upon their bodies, the wearers interacted with fashion and art simultaneously. Wow. Right? Which I'm like, that's something I kind of feel like you and I kind of know, mm -hmm. but I haven't really heard it spoken that clearly exactly. before. So I exactly. really, really love that. And then I was, as I was reading through um, who took over creative director duties, I mean, he has like tons of collections and tons. Mm -hmm. As I was reading over all of the people that he ever had come into the company to be creative directors were all Japanese. Nice. It wasn't like, oh, Ricardo Tishi coming nice. in Fraser no, Miyake. Because no. they're going to mess it up. No. So yeah. I really, um, really appreciated him for that. Because there was so much of a Japanese tradition that was part of his aesthetic. Correct. So I think if he was to go outside the culture, that the DNA would kind of take a left turn, I think. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, too, is we talked about this with somebody, and I want to say it was maybe Paul Smith. Mm. It was Paul Smith. Okay. So Izzy Miyake also designed a bottle of Evian. Can we just figure out why Evian is hiring all these people to do... I'm sure it's Ev press involved as well. For sure a press involved, design. but where are these balls of water? I've never seen this stuff. Well, it's just like, um, uh, they're designer versions of like the Coke bottle, but you, they're not mass produced. Who was the Diet Coke bottle? Oh, it was Marc Jacobs. Yeah, was there's that a couple of designers, yeah. 
it was a little on the cray cray side to me. So I feel like it's just a PR thing. Like, look at this bottle that you know Miyaki did or uh, Gautier did for you know. Yeah, I I I just found it to be a very interesting. And the other thing I thought was very interesting about him is, in terms of his awards, he was not really that appreciated publicly. Like, he never got the CFDA award. He never got. But I guess I, it's for Designs of America, but yeah. Anyway, I just found it to be very interesting. And the other thing that's very interesting is he had a high net worth, and a lot of that was for fragrance. Yeah, but they were actually yeah, yeah, low Yeah, and the, actually what they were selling, their actual revenue is more like two hundred fifty million a year. So for an international big company, it's not a lot, including oh. fragrance. When you start to like oh, look at what the numbers like, are, oh. it's like. That eighty million means even more to me when he did that. Yeah. So he got a lot of uh, awards. Um, that he got Kyoto prizes, Japan's Order of Culture, so a lot of things in Japan. Mm-hmm. But so I guess if we look back at Paul Smith, Paul Smith got most things like royal things, things. Yeah. In the oh yeah. So it wasn't that. Anyway, in nineteen seventy four, he opened his first store. Now listen. Yeah. I am not Japanese. Mm-hmm. I cannot speak Japanese. Okay. So if you are Japanese, I'm about to mispronounce a ton of stuff. Okay. okay. So everyone, please just bear with me. Okay. In March of 1974, um, he opened his first Izumiyaki store at the Puzzle. I can say that. Up the Puzzle Ayo, Ayo, Aoyama. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it is. The Puzzle mm-hmm. Aoyama building in Gainmai, Gainmai, Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Okay. 1975. So one year later, he opened his um, Place du Marché Saint Honoré in Paris. So 1975, and that thing is still there. Yeah, I've gone to that store. Yeah. Um, 1976, he opened his first show in Tokyo. Wow. And then 1985 is when he starts showing his Miyake men's in Paris. Yeah. 1992. I remember the year well. Oh, yeah. I was I, living there. I was on a lot of uh, Danish ferry boats going between Sweden and Denmark. Because I the forget we were in Europe at the same time. Huh? Yeah. And that's when he marched Lodizé. So all the perfumes were, you know, discounted on the boat because they were tax-free. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. So that was there. And then in 1998, he opened his Pleats, Please, is a Miyake store on Prince Street in New York, which is I still am, there. Yeah, yeah. Still there. Yeah. Um, he then, there was a lot of changes with creative directors. So somewhere around the late 90s, early aughts, he really got... Like, okay, I want to go back to research. And so mm-hmm. he wanted to be creating and developing concepts. Mm-hmm. He did not want to be spending his time working on collections every season. So he stepped away in right. a big way and had these amazing people working for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so and Lots of amazing uh, collaborations as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Ama- amazing. Now, one of the collaborations that was super amazing that Eric, if he ever decides to do it, will post this video. Mm-hmm. And it is... Okay, so this part made me think, just to be honest, like he might be a little gay. So he was watching TV, and he got super inspired by the Japanese gymnastics team. Mm. I'm just saying that when I watch the Olympics, I'm not really watching the fencing. It's more like gymnastics and diving. Okay. And so it's it's a group called the Aomori University Men's Rhythmic Gymnastics Team. Okay, okay, at Yoyogi National Gymnasium. Okay. And what he did is he... Which is kind of related to dance, if you think about it. It is dance. Yeah. And what it was is, like, they used to have 
all the calisthenics and the companies. Remember how in the 80s, mm-hmm. you look at the Toyota manufacturer and the news would show in to- at Toyota mm-hmm. in Kyoto, mm-hmm. they all went outside and they do calisthenics together or Tai Chi or whatever. <laughs> right, right. So from that, this is where this gymnastics team has become dancing and building and doing all these fun things. And so he inspired and created a way for his for this men's team to be seen. Because he thought that there was a future in this kind of dance. Okay. And this four-minute video Mm -hmm. is super impressive. Really? I mean, just what they do. And they move around in his clothes that way. It's like, it's quite exceptional. Um, (laughs) For the finale of this show, just Mm -hmm. in case you're not sure you're going to watch it, Mm -hmm. for the finale, all the guys are in their underwear. Okay. Now, they're not skimpy like... Underwear like I wear, but they're like like long, kind of like long Johnny, long Johnny kind of okay. to the knee boxer okay. boxer briefs, like long boxer brief underwear. Okay, and all of their costumes that Miyaki had done were laying flat, perfectly arranged on the mats in the middle of the thing, and they just walked around them in a square in their underwear. It was like and never put them on. Well, that was the end. That was at the end. They took all their clothes off at the end. Oh wow! I mean, what what good dance is not you know. Best we like a, we, a, 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 a strip tease. We like a modern strip tease, don't a we? Modern, a, a, an interpretive strip tease, we'll call it. And it makes me want to live a life where I'm creative and artistic yeah, yeah, and yeah. living my best life like that. Yeah. So, I Izzy mean, Miyake US is $75 to $100 million a year. Wow. The website, like the, some of the stats for the website are 30% of the visitors to their website is from the United States. 30%. Okay. 16% Japan, 9% United Kingdom. All the rest just kind of little bits. It's just... The America, math is weirder than I would think. America is a huge market for everybody. Yeah. They want to get here and have it make here. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the most amazing part of this. Mm-hmm. The ages that people go onto the website, 18 to 24, 24%. So one fourth of the people going on there were eighteen to twenty four. That's pretty good for that. That's, right, yeah. and thirty three percent of the people, uh-huh. twenty five to thirty four. Yeah. So that means that fifty eight percent of the people mm-hmm. that went onto Izzy Maki's website were mm-hmm. under the age of thirty four. That's amazing. Right? For so that, a house that's, you know, as old as it is. So it tells me that this man has some longevity. And oh, the yeah. brand oh, yeah. will live on. Oh, and yeah. I just want to read this one last quote for him. Because I just think it's super inspiring. And this is... If you don't hear anything else in all this stuff that I'm saying... Mm-hmm. <coughs> Eric, this. Eric, hear this, okay? Hear this. It, he said, I realized that my very disadvantage... Lack of Western heritage would also be my advantage. Oh, yeah. I was free of Western tradition uh-huh. or convention. Yeah. The lack of Western tradition was the very thing I needed to create contemporary and universal fashion. That's true. There is beauty in the unfinished. Wow. So I just want to say that I say that based on the future I can see for Zimiyaki, the beauty of Zimiyaki. Mm-hmm. Is unfinished. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And that's Izemiyaki. Wow. May he rest in peace. Rest in peace. We sent him lots of. A brilliant man. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. Brilliant. And a game changer. And I think he's the only designer that can, in a second, you can know 
who he is by just the fabrication. Yeah, and he he's was the al- only designer. He was also there were there were a couple things that he did that were very important around manufacturing since he owned those companies. Mm-hmm. Is that he actually started to sew with heat tape mm-hmm. and ultrasound. So if you start to look at his polyester pieces, there's no stitches. He's using heat tape, pressing it together, and then the garment stays together forever. And the garment, there's a memory yeah. of, of the, the folding. I have a client, she's got probably 45 pieces of Miyake. Wow. And a lot of it's 30, 40 years old. And you can't and tell what's 40 years old and what's brand new. No. Mm-mm. And that's the magic of Miyake. Mm-mm. All right, Mr. Yeah. William. Yes. One last thing. My one last thing is... The comeback of the queen of <gasps> beauty. Oh my gosh, Madonna was her birthday. Did you see Linda. That? Oh, sorry. Evangelista. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Linda. The house of Evangel. The house of Van- the house. Evangelista. The house of Evangelista. And I have to say, I'm thankful to Edward Ennefel, the creative director of British Vogue. Yeah. Because I really believe that he is bringing fashion magazines, especially with British Vogue, back to magazines being strictly about fashion and not being kind of a, a, a prisoner of entertainment. Ah, uh, I mean, it just happened. Like, if you look at American Vogue, okay, God bless Anna, but, I mean, so much of British, I mean, American Vogue is famous people. It's just stars, famous people yeah. and, and artists and, and musicians, which is great, but, like, with this cover that Linda just did, it's just... Fashion and fantasy. Oh, I love it. So uh, I'm so excited she's back to show the rookies. And, and how now, Linda Vagelista, she was one of the supermodels. So here are the five it was Carol Alt, Naomi Campbell, Linda Vagelista, Cindy Crawford, Cindy, and Christy, Linda, Christy Turlington, that's right. Naomi, yeah. Was yeah. Carol Alt part of that or not? No, that, uh, I mean, she could be considered a supermodel, but the term of supermodel didn't happen well, until... after her. The, until these girls. You know what? I had dinner with her once, and she only ate raw food. Like, Who's it wasn't this? Carol Cindy or Carol? Which, I will say this, she still... I, okay, I was obsessed with She's Carol Alt. beautiful. I was super obs- nice, and she only ate raw food. She was... Posted all over my room as a kid, but I will say this: I saw her at Fashion Week, the last Fashion Week we saw each other in yeah. 2020. Uh-huh. She still looks amazing. Yeah, that like I still was like, damn. Good. Girl, I mean, we're gonna get still... done with this. I'm gonna go in there and have a bag of chips. I will not look like that when I'm 74. We gotta eat is. more cabbage. Me- <laughs> <laughs> Keeps your regular. I'll be eating lots of cabbage <laughs> as I'm getting ready to see you all next time on What You're Wearing. Be sure you listen and follow and send to your friends. Tell and, your friends. And follow us on Instagram. We're What You're Wearing on Instagram. That's right. And we're um, What You're Wearing on um, on Instagram. <laughs> and then we're What You're Wearing on whatever you listen to your podcast. We so appreciate your time yes. and for listening to us. And I think I have just one more, one more thing. Is that okay? <sighs> this is like another last thing? No, just one more thing. Yeah. We have to... Um, we had a passing of Hannah More, which is a brilliant, brilliant designer, and she was actually one of two uh, Japanese women to ever show at the Couture Week in Paris. So I rest was at in her peace. Sh- I was at her show once too. Really? Yeah, she was yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people. There's a, there's a lot of a, greats. A lot of greats are up in um, heaven. heaven, making sewing together, creating sewing, together, sewing beautiful gowns. That's for right. When I get to go there. Yeah. Well, fitting. Fingers crossed. (laughs) He goes up, not down. (laughs) (laughs) And we're out.